Welcome to the Connect Church Podcast. Our mission at Connect Church is to help people find and follow Jesus. For more information on who we are and how we're doing just that, visit myconnectchurch.cc. The Lord has this um, uncanny ability to, whenever we are studying the word and whether we're going, whenever we're going through something or processing something, to speak to us in many different ways. And that, that last particular song, when it talked about that, you know, when Christ was on the cross, he looked past that. He looked past his hardship to something greater that only he could accomplish. And that's what we're going to be talking about today uh, in James chapter 1. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and let you in on a little secret that many people don't know, but the world's kind of in shambles right now, right? I know, huge surprise to me as well. Everything seems uh, like, like we can't have peaceful discourse. We can't disagree with one another. Everything is either shut down or it should be shut down or it shouldn't be shut down. And it, there's either in every situation, there seems to be a totally right way and a total wrong way, depending on who you ask, right? Like, again, like despite every election in history being called the most important election, this one, everybody says, this is the most important election. And to top all of that off, Mississippi State beat the defending reigning champions yesterday. Listen, and I'm not saying that to brag as a Mississippi State fan. I'm saying that to confirm to you that clearly something has gone wrong, right? <laughs> like, again, it's, it's weird, y'all. I prom- Sorry, Dave. I still love you and Skylar, too. Uh, but, but honestly, like... Um, there's like again in this world like more than ever it feels like something's not right like as as believers we're misplaced in the world and right now it feels like we're more misplaced than ever like the more we read about scripture the more we learn about the lord that the more it seems like things aren't the way they should be In fact, in one of the last things that he tells his disciples before he goes to the cross, in John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus tells them uh, that in the world you will have tribulation, but that in Christ we will have peace. So this is is part of the program as believers. Like We should expect this. In fact, God calls his people to a lot of different things, but an easy life was never one of them. Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his book that's literally named The Cost of Discipleship says, when a Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. The more we learn about the Lord, the more we seek out the Lord, the more uh, that we grow closer to the Lord, the harder things seem because the world wasn't made for us. And the word of God teaches us that just because we're called to live a life of peace, that doesn't mean life is always peaceful. There's going to be difficulties. There's going to be hardships. In fact, again, to claim that, well, I'm, I come to know the Lord, therefore life should be better. We, we hear certain pastors claim this, you know, live your best life now or whatever he says, you know. Like we hear these things in this moment, but scripture teaches the opposite of that. That in fact, we are called to a life of hardship as believers. This is part of it. So now that I've got you feeling all warm and fuzzy on the insides with that, right? Yeah, good start. Um, I want to uh, encourage you with this hardship is a blessing from God. 
hardship is a blessing from God. We, we don't often like to talk about the difficult promises in Scripture. And when I say difficult promises, I mean the ones that God promises hardship and difficulty and frustration, all of these different things. He promises those to us. It's much better to focus on the words of God that give us that, that good feeling inside. Again, when you see people typically share Scripture, whether they put it in their bios or something like that, it's, it's much more the, the more upbeat, the more optimistic, the happier. You know, Very rarely is your friend going through something difficult and you send them a section, a psalm, where David is struggling, right? You know, They say, man, I just can't feel the Lord. And you're like, well, here's the deal. David felt that too, and we don't leave it there. We like sharing the optimistic parts, but... I'm here to tell you that the difficult passages in Scripture are just as inspired as the ones that we love to hear and to repeat and to quote and to put in our bios and put in our statuses. They're just as inspired. And here's the thing. Today, we're going to read a lot of this Scripture. We're going to read a lot of this Scripture because the thing is, is that even those passages are designed to encourage us. Even those passages are designed to encourage us. And I, and I want to read you, uh, I'm, we're going to read a lot of Scripture because Scripture repeats this over and over again. If all we do is look at, you know, the, the, the verses that come across our news feed or the verses that, you know, people will have posted different places, if that's all we read, it's very easy to understand why we would believe that the Christian life is supposed to be one at ease. But it's not. And I'm going to tell you a lot of scripture for two reasons. Number one, because anything the Lord says pales in comparison to anything that I can say. All right, I'm 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 a faulted person. If any of you, if there were any doubts in any of your minds, I can tell you that I'm a faulted person. I also tell you this because I want to show you that what we're going to read today in James chapter one isn't an outlier. It's part of the program. It's part of the expectation. And again, the goal of this passage of Scripture in James chapter 1 we're going to read is not to make you feel dread or anxiety, but to show you that if, if you allow it, if you allow hardship, it can serve you a better and greater purpose in your life. Even the most frustrating and hopeless of situations can bring us joy and hope. We can be given this this eternal joy and this peace which surpasses all understanding through hardship. So James chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 2. So right out of the gate, James is writing this letter. And right out of the gate, he says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. So for the, for the Christian, in life, it's not a question of if you meet them. Like, if you put yourself in a situation. To be, no, it's when you meet trials of various kinds. Again, it's not an if, it's a when. He also says to count it all joy. Meaning that we have a choice of how we evaluate hardship and what value we place on it. We have a choice in our attitude towards those things and and what value we place on it and how we ultimately use that hardship in our life. Do we use it for the sake of being bitter? Do we use it for the sake of being joyful? We have the ability to establish that. And the value of our hardship determines the valuations that we put on the hardships we face. So whenever we look at hardship and whenever we see it as a tool that God uses to help us to grow us closer to him, when we meet inevitable hardships, we will place a value of this is a good thing. Not an easy thing, 
but a good thing. If we look at it as, if, if the value of hardship, if we look at it um, as negative, then we're going to be negative and frustrated and bitter and angry when we inevitably experience hardships. So the question I want you to ask yourself is, do you value hardship? Do you value hardship? And the answer for, for humans, for the most part, is not, not really we don't. Uh, that's not to say that we don't let it take up our time. Oftentimes, we worry about things that we shouldn't worry about in the first place. Oftentimes, we put value on hardships that are self-caused on our own, rather than avoiding those simple things. And we don't actually use value to enrich our spiritual life and our spiritual character. And the, the way that humanity humanity typically deals with hardships is through what? Avoidance. We try to avoid it. We try to get out of it in every possible way that we can. We try to make the path for ourselves easier rather than preparing ourselves for that path. So we, uh, we get desperate in times of hardship. We undercut relationships. We lie. We cheat. We steal. We do whatever we have to do to make our life easier because we don't want to go through hardship because it's, sim- because it's, it's hardship. It's difficult. It's frustrating. It, it doesn't make us feel happy in the moment. We pursue happiness rather than joy in Christ. We pursue what's easy rather than what the Lord calls us to pursue. And even as Christians at times, we're tempted to, in a difficult situation, to do everything that we can to get out of it, right? To do everything we can to remove that out of our lives, to get those things away, to push those things away. We do everything we can. And then at the very end, when we have nothing left, you know what? I'll pray about it. So what do we pray? We pray, God, take this away from me. God, work in this situation. Get this situation away. God, push the situation out of my life. And when we say get work in this situation, we don't mean, Lord, teach me. Lord, minister to me. Lord, draw me closer to you. We mean, Lord, work in it as in get it out of here. It's a very rare thing for our first instinct to pray in hardship. Lord, what are you wanting me to do? Or Lord, what do you want me to see? Or Lord, what do you want me to experience because even as believers, we, we don't believe in karma. We don't believe that, you know, we do a bad thing, therefore a bad thing happens to us. But we associate hardship and trials with unfairness. So we look at it, and we, again, we give ourselves a benefit of the doubt most of the time, right? Like, I, I think most of us, if we truly got down to brass tacks and we said, I'm not as good of a person as I like to think I am or as I like to paint myself to be. Right? Because we know everything about ourselves. And again, for, for me, that's unfortunate. Like, I, I, again, we know everything about ourselves, but oftentimes we give ourselves the benefit of the doubt rather than actually looking at our sin and looking at our struggle and looking at the things that we are experiencing. We associate these trials with the Lord's discipline. And in some cases, that, that is true. Oftentimes, the Lord leads us through difficult times in order to discipline us. But, in, but sometimes, the Lord leads us through difficult times because he's blessing us and because he has blessed us. Which sounds strange, but look at the life of David. David lived a life full of hardship, and that hardship was there for various reasons. Sometimes it was because David had sinned, and God, uh, this, was the, uh, this was the consequence of David's sin. Other times, it was because David had been blessed by God, and God led him through hardships. 
this is part of the program as believers. In fact, even look at the apostles. Like again, you may say, Blake, I'm not David. Okay, well, let's look at the apostles. Again, pretty high up there. We hold them in pretty high esteem, but when they were questioned by the high priest in Acts chapter five, they're, they're questioned by the high priest and they're told, you know, what, what are you saying? And they straight up tell them, listen, we're teaching, we're teaching Jesus that Jesus is, the, is Christ. So they, they take them away and they're angry. They want to kill them. And one of the teachers says, you know what? Let's just see this out. We've seen other people make claims such as this and they've been killed for their faith. We've seen other, you know, we've seen this multiple times. But so here's the deal. Let's see this out because... Again, in that typical way that we look at karma, uh, whether, we, whether we say we do or not, because if they're doing what's right, then we, we shouldn't resist against it. But if they're doing what's wrong, they'll be killed, no problem. So because the council wanted, you know, they still wanted to prove their point, they bring the disciples in, and it says that they called in the disciples, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. Then they left the presence of the council talking about the apostles, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor in the name or for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease reaching and preaching that the, that the Christ is Jesus. So the disciples didn't even look at the beating they took as hardship. They looked at his confirmation that what they were doing was right. They said, okay, yeah, okay, Lord, yeah, we got it. All right, we're doing what's right. Let's keep doing it. They want us to shut up? Nope, not gonna do it. We're gonna continue to do it. So what do they do? They continue to do what had brought them the beating in the first place. The whole point of punishment is to get you to avoid doing that again. And they said, oh, this is right, so let's keep on doing it. If it ain't broke, don't fix it, right? So they continued to do the thing that brought them the beatings, that brought them persecution. And the thing is, when we, seek, when we seek the approval of God over the approval of the world, the world will hate us for it. That's part of life. Peter expressed this to the council when he told them, we must obey God rather than man. Again, a lot of these guys, these guys you know, they, they had followed the Jewish faith. These were the men who they used to look up to as everything. And then these guys would tell them, hey, why are you doing this? And they said, because we've got to do what God tells us to do rather than what you're telling us to do. You hold no authority over us. We follow the authority of God. We're not worried about what you think. If you want to beat us, beat us. That's fine. In fact, that confirms what we're doing. So in trying to silence the apostles, they actually affirmed what they were doing. They affirmed their calling through hardship. Warren Wearsby talks about this. He says, Satan fights us, the world opposes us, and this makes for a life of battle. The question is not if, the question is when. It's inevitable when we no longer place value on the things that the world values, whether that be riches, whether that be influence, whatever that is, the world's gonna turn against us. And when we no longer allow Satan to stake claim over our hearts and over our minds, he will try everything in his power to make us regret it, which is attacking our flesh. It's the only thing he can do. It's the only thing that he can bring against us. He can try to make our earthly life miserable. But as we grow, and the Lord even tells us, him doing that is a blessing because it points you to me. 
the very persecution we experience is a blessing because it brings us closer to Christ. Romans 12, 2, don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. When we change the way that we think about things, obviously we're not going to think the same way that the world does. Again, our natural tendency, our flesh's tendency is to avoid pain, to avoid difficulty, to avoid hardship. But when we change our mind to the things of God, then okay, do what you will. It's your choice. Do what you want to. I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to stop praising the Lord. I'm not going to stop telling people about him. Do your worst. When we understand the enemy attacks, when we understand that the enemy attacks those who pursue the Lord, we can rejoice knowing that we're doing the will of God. So when things don't go as we planned, as things get messed up, as things get sidetracked and all this, our job is to continue to pursue the Lord's will. We've also got to understand that our outlook of hardship determines our outcome of hardship. So when we, how we look, what we see at the end, again, like the song was saying earlier, Jesus looked past his suffering. When we look past our suffering to what God can do through that, it determines the outcome. It determines what we gain on the other side. So we ask, what's the end game? Is it to avoid suffering at all costs? Is it to, uh, to you know, for me to be glorified, for me to raise myself up? Or is the goal for God to be glory, glorified, for us to grow in our relationship? See, the thing is that trials don't work against us. Trials don't work against us. Trials work for us as believers. Trial, it's, it's not that, that they knock us down a peg. It's not that they beat us down. In fact, we grow closer to the Lord to them if we choose to see it, depending on our outlook. And we're the ones who get to determine that, by the way. We don't like to, it, it's hard to admit this, right? Because oftentimes we, we don't want to say that we're the ones responsible for our emotions or the way that we think or the way that we say or the things that we do. Again, if you have kids, I have one kid. Who, who, turned three, who has just turned three. Listen, he will do anything he can to avoid punishment. Anything he can to avoid it, right? And we say, oh, well, that's just a toddler mentality. But how often do we do that same thing? How often is that what we say? Well, he did this to me, or this happened, or you don't know what I've been through. You don't know my life. You don't know me. You don't know what I've experienced. And the truth is, we don't. But the fact is, you don't know what I've experienced. You don't know what I've walked through. Because God teaches each one of us through our own sets of hardships and difficulties. And our outlook on those determines the outcome. Do we look back on difficulty with bitterness and anger? Or do we look back with gratitude and joy? How do we view this hardship? How do we view what we're experiencing? Romans 8, 28 says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. We, we like, this is one of those verses that can feel good when, when we read, all things work together for good. And when things are good, it's easy to read that, right? But when we hit those difficult times, whenever things don't go the way that we're going, whenever maybe we can't make our next payments on a bill, when maybe we, we lose our job, when maybe we experience loss or we experience sickness or we experience anything like that, it's much more difficult to say all things work together for good. 
And again, it says all things, not some things, not easy things, not simple things, not expensive things, not happy things, all things. Everything works together for good. That's a little more difficult for us to swallow. It's, it's harder for us to, to not, even, not only believe, but also to, to fully put our faith in. But this is why we are called to value hardship as believers. Because the almighty, all-powerful, all-knowing God that we serve can use even the most horrible of circumstances for good in a way that we could never imagine. What does that say about the God we serve? That through the most horrific things that we can experience, that we can walk through, that, that, we can, that we can ever see or imagine, God can use those things for good. Does that mean we'll always understand how he's going to use it for good? It doesn't. That's the hard part. It's, it's a little easier in those times when we can look back, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. when we can look back and go, oh, I, I see how God was working in that situation and I can, I can see that. But what if God doesn't reveal that to us? That's a little harder. But we're promised hardship because it brings us closer to the Lord if we let it, it's our choice. And when we fully believe that God can use hardships for his glory and God can use hardships to bring us closer to him, we become kingdom, kingdom focused. We're no longer focused on the world. We're thinking about, uh, about the kingdom. We're thinking about the Lord. We don't care what we lose here in the world because anything good that we have in the world in the first place was given to us by God anyway. So if he's taken away, he must have a reason. If it's taken away, that must be, he must have a reason. And, and people, people will say, some people will say that, you know, oh, well, that's because you're naive or it's because you're, you're ignorant or simple. Again, Christians have been called everything under the sun. They can say that. I was listening recently to a podcast of this uh, guy who was interviewing a pastor, and the guy said, I kind of believe in a higher power, but I don't really believe you know, specifically in the God that we call God. And he said, I, but I, I really do think that... Uh, a lot of people use religion just to cope with difficulties in the world. A lot of people use religion just to kind of to, to level it out, to make it a little bit easier to understand because there's some sort of vague understanding. Listen, all, that's, all that doesn't make sense. All of that means nothing. Because as believers, we're not called to live a life of ignorance. We are called to live a life that is faithful to the Lord. And even in the difficult times that will inevitably come, we know that God's ways are higher than ours. If we fully understood everything, faith wouldn't be a factor. We wouldn't need faith. We wouldn't need that. This is what we are called to do. We're called to be faithful, to say, you know what? I know God knows what he's doing. Even in the most difficult of times, even sometimes when we may not fully think we believe it, you know what? We have to tell ourselves, I know God knows what he's doing. God's ways are higher than mine. God understands what I'm going through. When we go through those things and when we fully begin to embrace that, our attitude about hardship begins to determine our actions during hardship. How do we respond? Not what we think about it, but how do we actually respond? You see, when we choose joy in hardship, we don't react the same way that the world does to hardship. We begin to respond like Jesus did in a Christ-like manner in the way that he taught us. 
This, and this is why when we are truly bearers of Christ's likeness, we respond in the way that Jesus told us to. In Matthew chapter 5, he says, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. That's the one we like, right? That's the way we want to respond. That's how we, we and again, listen, uh, th- there are a lot of things that men will never understand about women. And there's a lot of things that women will never understand about men. But fellas, be honest. Is that not the way you want to respond to stuff? You hit me, I hit you, right? Like, that, again, it, and it, it, it seems dumb, it seems silly, and it is, but that's the way we, we are, right? Think about in time when you're competing over something that does not matter. What makes you compete harder when that other person competes harder? What makes you, you know, if somebody, you know, if you're playing pickup basketball and someone fouls you hard, you're like, I'm gonna get him. Don't worry about that, I'm gonna get him. You know, that's our immediate reaction to that. We are the type of people, humanity tells us an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, it's only fair. But Jesus continues and says, but I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you in your right cheek, turn to him the other also. Okay? And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. All right. And if anyone forces you to go a mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Who on earth in the world responds to situations like that? Right? That's not our natural way. That's not our natural tendency. That's not what we want to do in that moment. To not retaliate and instead to give more than was asked or more than is expected or more than is required of you. With nothing in return. This isn't the way of humanity. This is the way of Jesus. And the more we gain that Christ-centered focus, the more we see that. In fact, this attitude brings heaven to earth. You, you want to see people who are world changers? It's people who have that mentality. You, you want to confuse the world? Treat them like that. You want to show somebody, you, you want to see people, their minds blown, that they don't understand you? Teach them that way. Show them that way. Turn the other cheek. Give more than is required of you. They'll begin saying, what is wrong with this person? What's different? Why are they different? What have they, what have they done that is different? Why, why do they seem still joyful in a, a really bad situation? It's because Christ lives in us. We don't respond the way, same way as the world does because remember, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. James tells, James tells us that not only is hardship inevitable, but hardship helps us deal with, you guessed it, more hardship. It helps us get used to it. Again, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. The more we walk through hardships, the closer we move to the Lord, the more we experience these things, the more we realize that the things of this world aren't what we're called to live for because they can be lost, they can be taken, we can lose them. We can't lose our love for the Lord if we fully commit ourselves to him. And we won't lose God's love for us if we do. How beautiful is it to know that when the world does its absolute worst to us, when it comes against us with everything it's got, God can still make beauty out of that situation. Romans 5, verses 3 through 5, we rejoice in our sufferings. 
knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. No amount of suffering can separate us from God. No amount. And again, it's not that we enjoy hardship. It's not that we go, you know what? Pumped about this, let's do it. I want my life to be the worst today. I'm super excited about it. It's that we choose joy in those situations. We value it because God forms Christ-likeness in us through hardship. And again, it's not the enjoyment of the presence that we live for, but rather the looking to the future, knowing what is to come. My end game is not on this earth. I don't live for this world. I live because I know what's coming I live because I know who I'm going to see, who I'm going to experience. And as we endure, our Christian character is proving, confirming what we know about God to be true. And that produces a hope in us. And this this hope doesn't lead to shame because of our suffering. We're not shameful that we suffer. We're not experiencing that shame, but rather it leads us to affirmation that God does love us. Again, it's that renewal of our mind. It's that changing the way that we look at hardship and we look at difficulty. Changing the way that we experience them. Changing the way we look at it and the way that we process it. The assurance of our salvation is hardship. And the confirmation that our faith is rightly placed. The more our faith is tested, the stronger we become. It, in a world where in our personal world uh, where we, we, we live pretty easy lives overall. Even people, again, in our country, even the people who live difficult lives um, aren't as bad as other people in the world. This is the reason that Christians all over the world are willing to die for their faith because they understand this. It's difficult for us to understand it because we lived good lives for the most part. This is the reason we're willing to die for our faith. This is the reason we walk through. And again, we ask the question, well, would God really send people through all of that? Would God really bring hardship on people? Well, let's just look at his apostles. The church, church tradition tells us uh, that typically all of them, with the exception of one, died due to their faith. With the exception of Judas, who betrayed Christ, he was replaced by Matthias. He died because of his faith. And John was exiled because of his faith. And we think God wouldn't bring hardship on us? We think that God wouldn't let bad things happen to us? In the same way that a weightlifter develops calluses and gets stronger the more weight and the more reps they lift, or a marathon runner develops the ability to run faster and further the more they push themselves, so does hardship produce fortitude in our faith. We go through hardship because if, as believers, if we believe what it leads us to, then we count it joy. You ask people who run, and very few people do I know who just run love running. They love what it does. They love the health benefits. They love uh, you know, the experience. Some of them, it's the social aspect. But like for me, I'm what you would call an immature runner or maybe I haven't even been born yet. Don't like running. Don't enjoy it. Don't want to do it. Those people who are like, I'm going for a run. I don't understand you. Doesn't compute with me, right? 
zero. So when I first, if I, if one day, I say that like I will one day, maybe I will. If I begin running, I'm not gonna immediately go, man, this is great. I love this. I'm gonna be crawling half a mile down the road and calling you to come pick me up, right? But what happens, the more I run, the more my body gets used to that. And again, the first time you do it, you're sore, you hurt, it's painful. But the more you do it, the more used to it you get. The more you experience, the more that you can run farther, the more you can run faster, the more you can experience that. Everything in life is that way. Why wouldn't our Christian life be the same? The more we experience, the more we can experience it. Hardship produces fortitude in our faith. Proverbs 17.3, the crucible is for silver and the furnace for gold and the Lord tests hearts. This is part of it. This is, this is what we're called to experience. It's painful, it's, it's, it's difficult, it's frustrating. It's not always understanding, right? We like having answers for things, Right? We want to know what's happening. Many of you are very logical thinkers and you're organized and you want to know what's happening every second of every day, right? Don't understand you people either. But even for me, I like being a problem solver. Like I, I like figuring out, okay, here's how I solve this problem. Here's how I walk through this. Here's how I do this. But oftentimes hardship isn't that way. We have to trust in the promise of God that he will teach us through it. We have to have faith in him that there's a reason behind what he's doing. James continues, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let that steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. You see, God cannot work in us without our consent. Right? He can't. We can choose to use what God has given us to grow. We can choose to use the trials that God has put us through uh, or allowed us to go through to grow closer to him. It's our consent. We have a choice to decide whether to be joyful or bitter. We choose the value of hardship and our attitude during hardship and our outlook of what hardship will bring. But James takes this even a step further and he says, oh, and don't try to get out of hardship prematurely. Let it run its course. Okay, so let me get this straight. James, you're telling me, number one, I'm going to experience hardship. Yes, you're going to experience hardship. Okay, number two, I'm not only gonna experience hardship, but that hardship is gonna prepare me for even more hardship down the road, 100%. Okay, you're also telling me that in hardship, I shouldn't necessarily try to get out of hardship because I get to experience more from the Lord whenever I experience hardship, bingo. That's more difficult to walk through. So we will have hardship we will uh, be able to deal with hardship more through hardship and also we shouldn't try to get out of hardship. If hardship grows Christ in us, if we allow it to grow Christ in us, then we should desire that regardless of what it is. If anything grows our relationship with the Lord, we should desire it. As hard as that is for us to wrap our minds around it. I was listening uh, to a Navy SEAL being interviewed and he said that they have this thing called the 40% rule. 
And the 40% rule is this, that when your mind is telling you that you're done, you're exhausted, you can't possibly go any further, you're, at, you're done, there's nothing else, you're at about 40% what you can handle. 40%, not 80%. 80% you could kind of like go, okay, yeah, you know, we can always, no, 40%, you're not even halfway there. And this seems silly, but think back on t- the times that you were at the end of your rope. Think back on the hardships that you've walked through. Maybe it was stressful at home. Maybe it was at work. Maybe it was sickness that you experienced or someone who you loved experienced. Maybe, again, we we don't know, I don't know what it is. Again, we all have our own stories, but look back on those things. Maybe you're in those things right now. Maybe it seems like more now than ever, people are kind of getting closer to the end of their ropes Especially, maybe not more than all time, but definitely in this generation, it seems like we're getting closer and closer to the end of the ropes. But when you've gotten past that moment, when you've walked through that valley, how did it make you feel? How did it affect your relationship with the Lord? What did it lead you to do? What did it lead you to change? Did it make you more grateful maybe? Did it make you appreciate the things that you didn't appreciate before? In hardship, we gain patience. And whenever we we exhibit patience in hardship, that's a sign of spiritual maturity. This is what God leads us to. He leads us through hardship so that we may be more spiritually mature. Psalm 73, 28, but for me, it is good to be near God. I've made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all of your works. How much glory can we give God when we recount the trials that he has brought us through? This is the reason that when we hear these incredible testimonies of people who've come through just crazy things, insane things, when we hear these people who have walked through these just insurmountable odds and come out on the other side. It's the reason it's so touching. It's the reason it, it, it inspires us. Because in the most difficult of times is when oftentimes we can see the Lord most clearly working. It's the reason that whenever, you know, in times when we have broken hearts, maybe it's through loss of a loved one or, or sickness or, or whatever that is, it means that in that just as... The psalmist said, I've made the Lord God my refuge. It's good for me to be near God. I've made him my refuge that I may tell all of your works. Blaine talked about this uh, a few months ago that our testimony is not our own. If the hero of your testimony is you, you're doing it wrong. The hero of our testimony is what God has done through us. How God brought us through those situations. In Acts chapter 9, when we read about Paul was on the road to Damascus to persecute Christians, and Jesus comes to him, and he becomes blind. And later we read that Ananias is praying, and the Lord comes to him and tells him uh, to go see the man named Saul, that we also call Paul. Go see him and lay hands on him so that his sight will be restored. Now, Ananias knew who Saul was. 
He knew what Saul was about. He knew that Saul persecuted people legally by decree of their governing body. Like it wasn't like a, oh, well, hopefully, you know, hopefully he gets captured by the authorities. That's not the case. It was, oh, no, he is the authority. He is the one coming down on us. He is the one doing this. So naturally, Ananias brings this up. Lord, I've heard of these things that he's done. The Lord answers Ananias and says, Go, for he's a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name for the Gentiles, before the Gentiles, and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Paul, arguably the most famous Christ follower of all time, the man who God dictated most of the New Testament to, the man whom God chose to plant churches throughout the ancient world. By the way, churches that still stand through Scripture as examples of how we are called to function as the church was called to suffer greatly. In the beginning, we see, in the beginning of that sentence, God says, I'm going to do great things. The Lord says, I'm going to do great things with Paul. He's going to go before Gentiles and give the gospel. He's going to go before the Jews and give the gospel. He's going to go before kings and give the gospel. What an honor. Like, think about that. Like, again, to have that kind of, that, you know, that kind of influence. And then he says, I will show him how much he has to suffer for my name. It's a little more difficult to walk through. It's a little more difficult to swallow. But Paul understood that this wasn't just some karmic retribution for what he had done. But Paul talks about his suffering a lot in his writings. And he talks about how he's okay with it, how he expects it. And why he continues day in and day out to do the things that continue to cause him hardship. He writes the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians and says, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away and our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond comparison. For as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Paul understood that at the end of the day, it wasn't about what he did in this world. Like money and fortune and power and fame and influence. He had those things before. You know, he, he had the fame. He had the influence. He had the power. He was, you know, he was the man amongst his circle. He understood that what mattered was what came next. He didn't let his external circumstances dictate his faith in God, but rather he saw them as a way to strengthen his faith. One last story I want to tell you about this that comes later that Paul tells of himself. Um, Paul lays out some of the things that he had been through for the sake of Christ. And in the church of Corinth, these Judaizers, these false teachers had been coming and teaching and they'd been teaching a false gospel. And again, these were, these were sharp-tongued dudes and, that, and like they're coming, they're telling what you want to hear. They're telling, hey, you need to do this or hey, you need to do this or look at all the things I've done. Look how great and grand and wonderful I am in all the things that I do. So be like me because I am great. Praise the Lord too. But I am great. 
Paul hears this. And again, Paul has no issues boasting in Christ and boasting in what the Lord went through for our sake and bragging on God. But Paul doesn't like to brag about himself, including his sufferings. Oftentimes we talk about our sufferings because we want sympathy. Paul didn't want their sympathy. Paul didn't want sympathy at all. Paul didn't want to talk about himself, but the, the Corinthians had become so enamored with these people who would talk about what they had done and went through that Paul says, okay, listen, you guys seem to be into this, so I'll go ahead and I'll do the same thing. I'm gonna talk about what I've experienced. He acknowledges that uh, he, he may not be the best speaker, but what he had told them was what they needed to hear. He had told them the gospel in its truest form. He decides to scratch this itch of the Corinthians. He acknowledged that, you know what, maybe I'm not as charismatic as those people. Maybe I'm not as, you know, braggadocious and all of that. But you know what? Because you brought me here, because you love this, I'm going to talk a little bit about what I've experienced and what I've gone through. So first of all, he says, listen, they claim they have this heritage. They claim that they're Jews. They claim that they're Israelites. You know what? I'm one too. So, okay, even Paul, Judaizers, same place. We're right there together. But Paul takes it one step closer and again, he hated talking about himself and we can see it in this. He says, are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. And Paul says, I'm, ta I'm talking like a madman. You are making me do this. You're making me say these things. He says, I am a better one with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, often near death. Five times I received the hands of, at the hands of the Jews, 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods, which was a Roman torture. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A day and a night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, dangers from the city, danger from the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers in toil and hardship. Through many a sleepless night and hunger and thirst, I off, and hunger and thirst often without food in cold and exposure. And he, he says, and apart from other things, there's the daily pressure of me, on me, of my anxiety for all the churches. He's like, so listen, I've got all this stuff that I've experienced, all these external things that have come against me, but also I'm super worried about you and the other churches that I've, that I've planted. I'm super worried about all of you. He continues. These Judaizers said, you know, Paul's weak for his sufferings. Paul's weak for talking about that. He says, who is weak? And I'm not weak. Who is made to fall? And I'm not indignant. If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, he who is blessed forever knows I'm not lying. At Damascus, the governor under King Aretas was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me. And I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. So Paul says, listen, these dudes who come to you who tell you how great they are, they've not suffered for the sake of Christ. Let me go ahead and tell you what I've experienced for the sake of Christ. And he names the list off. It's a lot of stuff. That's a lot of things. Again, Paul practiced what he preached. Paul went through it. Paul experienced it. Paul actually felt what it was like to bear the burden of being a Christ follower over these other people. Paul then continues in that same passage and he talks about a vision that he had 14 years earlier of where he, he actually went to heaven. He said whether it was out of body, I don't know. Maybe my body went, I don't know. But he actually experiences 
the Lord. He goes to heaven. In a way to honor Paul, God brings him up and he dwells in the presence of the Lord. Experiencing what everyone as Christ followers, what our ultimate goal is. He went home to what we want to go to, to where we are called to. He got to experience that. He heard things that he couldn't utter. He heard things that only God could utter. He heard all these things. He experienced these things. And he says, listen, I experienced all these things because of my faithfulness, because God blessed me. But God knew that this would make a man proud. He had experienced what he had been preaching, this, this unity and this closeness and this, you know, this reunion with the Lord. He had experienced it, and he said, knowing that it would make me proud, the Lord gave me an affliction, or he allowed an affliction to come to me. We know this is Paul's thorn in his flesh. Paul called it a messenger from Satan. So much like Job, Paul allowed Satan to torment or God allowed Satan to torment Paul's flesh. And it was constant, it was nagging. It was all the time, it's over and over. And Paul, a man who had suffered everything we just read through, everything that he just experienced, all of these things, Paul begins asking, Lord, remove this from me. God, take this away from me. Take this thorn out of my flesh. God, please, please take it from me. Three times he asks the Lord, he pleads with the Lord, and God answers him. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. My grace is sufficient. For my power is made perfect in weakness. How does Paul respond does he continue to say, God, I can't do this. God, I'm out. God, I can't experience. God, please, please. Does he continue to plead? Is he angry? No, is he sad? No, is he indignant? Lord, this is unfair after all I've done. This is what happens. No. So Paul, the man who had suffered so greatly and continued to suffer, he decides to count it all joy. And says, therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, I am strong. God's strength shines through our weaknesses. Through difficulty and hardship, when we experience those things, God himself works in us in such a way to allow us to do things we could never do. We could never begin to do. Put us in situations that we couldn't experience. What if God, you know, he begins to put us in these situations and oftentimes we'll look at them and we'll say, Lord, why am I in this situation? And then we meet someone maybe later down the road, maybe years later, who's walking through a similar situation. And we say, listen, I know that's horrible. In fact, I know exactly what you're going through. But let me tell you what the Lord did through me. 
Maybe we get so full of ourselves at times. We, we become so full of ourselves, um, so confident in what we've done. We believe our own hype and God brings us low. He takes those things away with us to remind us that any good thing is from him and anything in this world, nothing in this world, absolutely nothing in this world is worth our relationship with the Lord. You see, Paul chose to see the thing the Lord allowed to afflict him as a blessing. He didn't see it as neutral. He didn't see see it as a necessary inconvenience. He saw the very thing as a blessing. Even the thing that God brought to humble Paul, Paul saw as a blessing. So whenever we meet hardships and trials of any kind, let's count it all joy, brothers and sisters. Because when we see the hardships and the trials that we walk through as opportunities for the Lord to bring us closer to him, then we can fully see the love and the blessings that the Lord has for us. We can fully see that even in our weakness, we can be made strong. Let's pray. God, we try to complicate things in life. We try to make things more difficult than they actually are. And God, oftentimes we we don't understand your ways. Your ways are higher than ours. We... They're not for us to understand, God, but the one thing that we can understand, that we can hold true to, that we can fully expect and experience and know for a fact is that whatever we're going through, God, it can bring us closer to you if we let it. Lord, I don't know what everyone in here is going through. I don't know what they're experiencing. People who, who are watching online or whoever sees this, God, I don't know what they're experiencing, what they're, what they're walking through. But Lord, I do know that even in the most terrible, horrific, and ununderstandable circumstances, you can be glorified. We can learn. We can grow closer to you. So God, I pray that as we go throughout our life that we don't just lean into, that we don't try to avoid conflict, we don't try to avoid frustration or, or any of those things, but God, rather than that, that we actually lean into you, that we have a renewal of our mind, understanding that testing grows our faith that the more we walk through difficulty and the more we experience that and the more we lean on you, the more we see that you are better. Better than anything, better than anything this world has to offer, God. This is part of the program. Suffering and trials and difficulties are part of what we signed up as believers. But for so long, God, we've conditioned ourselves to avoid it or to push it away or to pray that it be removed. But God, I pray that we begin to pray that it bring us closer to you. God, as strange as it is to pray for hardship, to pray for difficulty, Lord, I pray that whatever it is that brings us closer to you, that 
that we, that we welcome it. That even in the hardest of times that we count it all joy. That even when things are difficult, that you can be glorified and that we can find joy and satisfaction in the only thing in this world that can offer us those things and that is you. Church, I pray for you today. Maybe, maybe you're going through a difficult time and man, God can work in those times. God's can, God, what is God trying to teach you? What is God walking you through? What is God, in all this chaos and all this craziness that the world is experiencing, not only as a whole, but also internally and all of those things that we're experiencing and walking through, what can God teach us? What can he show us? What can he reveal to us? How much more can we do for him whenever we allow him to work in us? My prayer for us is that we we stop buying our own hype. We stop seeking our own glory. And that first and foremost, we seek the Lord. That we steer into the awkwardness and uncover. Again, e- even sharing our faith. And I'm guilty of this too. Even sharing our faith. What do we worry about? Well, what if they think I'm a weirdo? What if they think I'm strange? What if the conversation gets awkward? Man, God forbid us pursue that. God forbid us from thinking that. Man, listen, is it, is it so worth our comfort that we're not willing to go through difficulties? That we're not willing to grow closer to the Lord? Are we so willing to sacrifice our relationship with God just so that we can have a temporary comfort in this world? Man, I pray we get past that. I also want to encourage you to tell you that you don't have to experience hardship alone. One of the greatest enemies that, or one of the greatest lies the enemy tells us is that we are alone in everything we experience. That secret that you think only you know about, that thing that you're walking through that no one else knows about, no one else knows that you've done, the enemy will tell you, hey, don't tell anybody. What will they think of you? What will they, how will they look at you? And God tells us we don't have to walk through this alone. Again, Paul, a man who walked through difficult times, who experienced these times. Also, if you read his letters, he praises people who walked alongside him. He praises for people who shared in his suffering. And that's what we're called to do as the church. We're called to, to walk alongside one another. Whenever you're taking those steps and you can't take another step, you don't feel like you can walk one more foot. It is our job as brothers and sisters to put your arms around our shoulders and to help you. So I want to encourage you today, if you're walking through something, you say, man, like I'm, I can't tell anybody. Listen, our goal is not judgment. Our goal is not scorn. Our goal is not to, to throw rocks at you. Our goal is not to make you feel bad. Our goal is to see you restored in your relationship with the Lord. Our goal is to see you grow in your relationship with the Lord, to walk alongside you in those things. That's what the church was meant to do. Brothers and sisters, let's count it all joy when we experience trials and let's walk alongside one another. Lord, thank you for, for hardship. Thank you for your word, uh, your word, God, that is centuries old and yet continues to minister to us today. The more we read it, the more we study, the more we consume it, the more it transforms us. Thank you, God.
If you need help finding or taking your next step, send us a message at hello at myconnectchurch.cc.